Welcome back to the Lawali Life podcast. I hope you're all doing as well as you can in either self-isolation or isolation with your loved ones. I know it can be taxing, so I'm going to be here to bring you some of the most inspiring people I know and content over the next few weeks to help keep you grounded, stress-free, and inspired and motivated during this very strange time. For those of you that haven't tuned in already, I'm Alice Law and I'm your host and founder of Lawali Life, which is my coaching practice I've set up to help stress professionals and entrepreneurs to manage, get rid of and decrease stress whilst improving their personal and professional performance. This podcast is based purely around stress and loss, which is pretty apt at this time, and it is a mixture of conversations with amazing leaders in their fields from top CEOs, neuroscientists, other coaches and practitioners, spiritual thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and more guiding you through the greatest stress and losses they've personally had to overcome, how they did it, and tips on how to get you back through yours. Today's episode is slightly different as it's a role reversal with the amazing Dr. Tara Swart taking the time to interview me on my own journey in stresses and losses and hopefully letting you guys get to know me a bit more and why I do what I do and why I do the podcast. I'm so grateful for Tara to take the time to interview me. She, for those of you that don't know, Dr. Tara Swart is an amazing neuroscientist. She lectures at MIT Sloan. She's a best-selling author, a leadership coach. She is incredible, has an amazing book out called The Source, which is all about the law of attraction and the neuroscience behind the law of attraction. She's been a guest on this podcast, so go to listen to her episode if you haven't already. And I'm so grateful for her to take the time to do this with me and to have her amazing insights alongside my story. So I hope you guys enjoy. lovely Alice. Um, as people will know, I have been a guest on your podcast previously. And I have to say the podcast series is, I mean, it's just come alive and come together brilliantly. But I know that I'm not the only person that has said to you that your story is obviously missing from this podcast series and that I really believe, as some of your other friends do, that your story is going to bring this podcast series together. Um, so I'm going to dive right in and ask you, what is the greatest stress or loss you have personally had to overcome? Well, I mean, first of all, I'm so happy you're doing this with me. So thank you so much. And I hope like you say that, yeah, people get to know, get to know me a bit better on this, this episode, which is the kind of intention for it. And it's, I'm so grateful for you doing it with me. So thank you. Um, the greatest stress or loss I've had to overcome I think it was in a sort of all-encompassing. It was a loss of my family life as I knew it. And that, for me, took on two, well, multiple facets, really. So I lost my sister to cancer. must have been just over four years ago now. And during that time, my whole sort of family life sort of shattered at the same time from different factors. So when we lost my sister... My dad then became very depressed and suffered with his own mental health from grief. And at the same time, all his businesses went under. So he was under extreme stress. Um, he, we lost him as a sort of character and as the vivacious person I once knew. And that was very painful to, to see, as you can imagine, like watching someone you love sort of disappear in front of your eyes. Um, so I had to do that. I had to watch my sister do that physically and then him do that mentally. And I think those are the two greatest losses. And to then 
lose him actually physically this last June from stress-related illness. But I think it was, to answer your question, it was the loss of my family life as I knew it, because with that came, say, your lifestyle, your home, your family members, a security that I once knew that was all taken away, sort of financially, environmentally, home-wise, and, you know, mentally with my dad and physically with my sister and then physically with my dad. So I think that whole structure changing was the biggest loss I've had to overcome. And it was a very stressful time. I mean, I know this story, Alice, but, you know, hearing you summarize it like that has literally, like, I just felt chills all over my body. And it sounds like one thing, you know, one catastrophic thing happened and it sort of unraveled everything else. Um, So over a four-year period, you must have just gone through so many different forms of grief or or through the sort of stages of grief that one has to go through but many times did it feel like that yeah absolutely it's such a good way to put it because it generally felt like no stone was being left unturned I mean it was like okay well you know my sister's getting ill maybe she'll get better no she died and then when this sort of continued it was like okay every factor sort of got shuffled around like you say and then in the um interims of this I actually also had my own romantic romantic breakups and um, lost my job to redundancy. So it literally felt like I understood loss and stress on a very sort of dynamic perspective, if that makes sense. And yeah, there was different griefs to go through, definitely. There's obviously the grief of loved ones and family members, and I was never expecting to lose two family members within four years. Um, that was a sort of strange, strange shock for me, even though I My dad's health was deteriorating, but we weren't expecting to lose him that quickly. Um, And then, yeah, it's the grief of grief of a life, really, a grief of you know the people, the security, grief of romance, grief of a job because I loved the people I worked with at that time, and they had to move away to move back to um, Monaco, and. Yeah, it's just all sorts of different griefs. I think that's why I started the podcast, you know, to have loss in as well as stress, because I understand two very sort of holistically, if that makes sense. Yeah, it feels like grief in every dimension almost. Um, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's also really important to point out for people that don't know you that you could only have been, what, 25 or 26 when your sister passed away? Yeah, I was 25. Yeah, when she passed away, I was 20. What was I? I must have been 22 when she got ill. Okay, um, so, I mean, yeah. basically the formative young adult years of your life were all about um, stress and loss, which is obviously why you're, you know, so good at what you do, because I know that you you coach in that area. Um, before we get to that, I... I wanted to, uh, I w- I'd love to really get into the detail of the next question, which is how did you manage to overcome that? Now, obviously it's so much and it was happening over such a long period of time. And I'm not sure if you ever get over losing your sister and your father, but one of the things I know about you, which I'm just so awe-inspired about that I've spoken to my husband about was the way you said to me, I've got to the point where I have acceptance that that was my sister's journey. And I don't even think about things like, could she have got an experimental treatment earlier? And I just, I don't know if I could ever do that. So I'm so, so inspired by that. And I'd love to explore how you got to that amazing place. Oh, thank you. I think, I mean, it was a two part thing for me. One was I 
developed my own sense of spirituality and that's something I've really had to lean on for the grief factors of losing people I love um which I can go into a bit more but I also it was realizing on a personal development level which is when I sort of bundled myself into all this and just absorbed as much you know information on mindset coaching and mindset and um, meditation and energy healing and all these incredible inspiring podcasts like Oprah and all these people I just flooded my um, brain with whilst I was going through this time and made me realize a different way of thinking but I essentially realized myself I was like okay if these things are continually happening which which they were and I realized I just I didn't have any control in anything going on in the outside world then the only thing that I could change was myself and something had to change so that something was going to have to be me so I think that was the sort of shift for me trying to not make myself a victim to the circumstances because I know there's horrific things that happen every day you know my story is definitely not the worst in the world in comparison to other people but it's always in perspective to your own scenario and what you've grown up with and what you're currently dealing with so I think I think that for me was my greatest lesson it was this like opposing kind of sliding doors effect of seeing how incredible life really could be because I'd grown up I really will say like I was so blessed so blessed growing up and was so lucky you know I had everything was great it really was and um, I'm really truly grateful for that you know I had parents who were together who um, loved us I had siblings I had an amazing home experience education um, financially you know very lucky and had wonderful friends my health was great um, so you know I had, in essence, a life that was really as perfect as it could be in inverted commas till I was about, you know, 19. And um, I think that was my greatest sort of learning and lesson is this, was what I needed to see and what I was given in this scenario was seeing how great it could be, because I really did know, and then seeing how it can all change and have it taken away from all angles. So, you know, with health, with loved ones, with home, with finances with mental health just with with everything and um from that lesson learning how to adapt you know I had to learn to adapt to change to it and from that I learned what true stress and loss really is stress over a prolonged period of time and loss in a holistic way in all facets so yes it was yeah it was definitely rechanging my perspective through all those sort of learnings and having yeah, a sense of my own spirituality developing a sort of deeper connection to something outside of myself that made me see things in a different way and I do really believe that we're all on our own sort of soul journey and um, this is part of mine for whatever reason and hopefully to help more people in the future. I think that there's a lot about this that could really help other people. And I have to say that as a neuroscientist, I want to ask you what spirituality means to you, but I'm actually really curious to try to understand whether you think that you were always, you always lent towards that sort of thing, like spirituality, like was it something in your upbringing or something that, you know, was innate to you? Or do you really think that you massively learnt it in response to these things that happened to you at a relatively young age I think it's funny it's a really good question because I think it's actually it's a very bizarre um journey for me in this because I look back now and I look at some things and I'm like oh god I used to 
I used to do that when I was younger or I used to hear that old thing. So I basically, I grew up, um, you know, my mum's very Christian. My dad, you know, was, you know, believes in, um, believed in, in God, but he wasn't sort of avidly going to church or anything. So I just grew up in a very sort of standard Christian based family, but nothing extreme. And I'd always grown up seeing that sort of picture of religion of putting power outside of yourself so to speak you know and I've got absolutely nothing against all these things but I think it's your personal experience and what I loved about the new sort of spirituality that I stumbled across through teachers like Wayne Dyer, Dr Wayne Dyer and people like that who I just think are incredible it was all about connecting to yourself and realizing that we have the power to change things sort of in alignment with the universe instead of sort of hopelessly praying to something to change it for us, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, um, but yeah, when I was younger, I think I used to, um, you know, I, I've always been very intuitive and, you know, I've, I've heard things when I was younger, as crazy as that sounds, but I think I sort of shut it out. But I think I've always sort of had intuitive, um, intuitive abilities. And I think that's made it easier for me to maybe connect to them during this this time in this period and it kind of made them expand a bit more I guess yeah I think I, I actually have a you know not based in science necessarily yet but a, a strong belief that I've discussed with a few people that that we're born completely intuitive creative spiritual and it basically gets squelched out of us by you know society that we live in yeah um and it does seem like maybe your leaning in terms of dealing with grief was to move towards spirituality. Um, whereas obviously for some people, it can be very much the other way. They can, they can lean on alcohol or drugs and, and things can go very wrong. Although there are a lot of people that do that temporarily and then come out of that hole, um, the hole that they've been in as a, a much more spiritual, intuitive, creative person. So I guess it is a different journey, but I, I like the idea that there was a little flame there, but it you know, absolutely got fanned for you by having to deal with this, this immense and continuing grief. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's definitely like you say, it was like a little flame and I kind of, it, um, I've also been lucky enough to be around people that maybe had a little flame in them themselves. And so when this has developed for me, I've been lucky enough to be in a group of friends where I could say stuff and they not be like, are you talking about <laughs> so it kind of um, helped as well to bring it all out I guess I think this is actually so relevant at the moment because um, it's early April we are recording with each other both from self-isolation and obviously the world is in a place now where it's easy to feel distant and like an island but actually being around like-minded people or starting to think in this spiritual way is a real opportunity for a lot of us. Um, obviously, it does help if you have people around you that believe in some of the same things. But I, I also think that you being like that is inspiring for other people too. So, you know, often by demonstrating that, you're helping other people to fan that little flame that, that we all have deep down. Um, I know that you've taken what you've learned into a new direction with your work and so I'd love to hear about a bit about your coaching I'm a coach my coaching is based on neuroscience but yours is based on something so positive and different and funnily enough from my background as a psychiatrist I know that there are so many men who become extremely isolated around stress and loss it actually pains me to think that 
often men suffer more because they don't have anyone to talk to. They don't have that group of friends around them like you did, like I do. Um, what can we do and what do you do in your work to help people to broach that subject, to deal with it? Um, and how is this different for men and women? It's such an interesting point, like you say, with men. And I have looked <clears throat> at sort of, um, yeah, men with stress specifically quite a lot more in the last year because I saw my dad suffer so much with stress and depression as a male who believed that he couldn't get help because he was of that generation that you just shut up and get on with it and deal with it yourself Mm -hmm. and to see someone really really struggle um, mentally like that to not reach out for help for whether it was no bereavement cancer after he lost um, my sister or whether it was just talking to someone about all the struggles he was going through himself or with his work, he really just took it all on himself and it manifested as, you know, physical illness in the end, which was, you know, he had a burst stomach ulcer and caused internal complications, which, you know, led to us losing him. And you can't really say that's anything other than extreme stress. And I think there's such a a need for there to be a more open conversation with men. I think that women, we're so great at talking to our friends immediately when we have a problem. It's almost one of the first things we do. Like we can't keep it to ourselves. <laughs> and um, yeah. with men, it's obviously very different. And with the difference, you know, I know that with men and women, for example, statistically long-term stress is more prone to turning into depression in men than it is women. Women are more prone to anxiety. But men, yeah, will be more prone to suffering with depression if they have been under a severe amount of stress for a long, prolonged period of time. And that's, you know, also reflects, I think, on the statistic that the biggest killer for men under 50 still at the moment in the UK is themselves, which I just think is just so incredibly, incredibly sad, because if that was a physical disease that everyone could see, I'm sure, like, you know, the pandemic that's going on now, everyone's up in arms, people would be a lot more, let's do something about this. Um, but it's it's not because you know you can't see mental health, and I think that's one of the uh, one of the things. But with my coaching, yeah, I just um, I love doing it. I love I love doing it for everyone, but I love also yeah the idea of trying to help men because I think there is a big need with men in stress to prevent it as much as cure it, so that it doesn't get to that stage of you know waiting for health problems or it turning into depression. Um, and I like. Yeah, I think with my coaching, I've always liked to bring in two sides. So like we we got on so well because we said I love logic and spirituality and you love, you know, science and spirituality. And it's I think the combination of the two are so important. So yeah, that's what I try to bring into my coaching is sort of tapping into your your authentic self, your soul self and getting that connection to what makes you happy and on a sort of spiritual and energetic level. Because I do Reiki healing as well. And sometimes I do that with my clients if they're open to it it's great for stress but um then the other side is you know the actual the logic of it of understanding your mind of doing mindset work of mindfulness of you know the logical side of keeping yourself calm and little tools that you can just put into place so yeah I think I like sort of the combination of the two because it's the combination of the two that helped me and that's why I know it sort of works really Uh, yeah I agree with you that you sort of with men more than women need need to use the logic first to be able to get to some of those other places. Um, (laughs) I just wanted to go back and check something um, that you said, which was that the biggest killer of men under the age of 50 is themselves. 
Now, is that directly from suicide or is it from, you know, not addressing a problem that then becomes a physical illness? Is it from drugs and alcohol? That's that's directly from suicide statistics, which I just find so incredibly, incredibly sad. Um, Yeah, and I guess you can say that, you know, the getting to that point, although there are many factors that can get a person to that point of depression, if stress is a starting point for then long-term depression, then how can you stop it at that point? Um, I'm not saying all depression comes from stress because that's not true at all, but a percentage of it does. So it's, um, yeah, it's a really frightening statistic, I think, that needs to change. Absolutely. I remember when I was a psychiatrist that a really, um, a group of people that we worried about particularly around suicide and depression was the um, men of retirement age who had over-identified their whole identity with what they did as a job. Um, And then when that ended, that was a huge loss for them. And then also if that coincided with becoming a widower, that that they were just totally unable to cope and suicides felt like the only way out. So in both those cases, whether it's under 50 or over 65, that's, that just seems absolutely tragic. And I know that there's so much that you can you and other people like you can can do to help that. I completely agree with what you're saying as well with the um, the over you know 65 and retirement ages because that's what happened with my dad when he lost his companies at the same time as his daughter. His kind of identity that he'd he'd sort of molded himself around being this provider and very you know masculine etc. Got taken away. He just really didn't know how to cope with it at all, and it was. Very, very, very sad to watch. And I think, although my dad never committed suicide, and I'm you know so lucky in that respect, he had completely given up on his own life and didn't want to see doctors and didn't want to, you know, he had sort of very early stage cancer in his later life. And he was like, I'm not going to do treatment. Like, not the point. He'd lost that capacity to care um, and had completely given up from depression. So I think it is such a good point that it's also the elder age as well as that under 50 bracket. Yeah. I mean, you're bringing up two really like big thoughts for me. One is that it's, it's so easy for us to say, you know, men of that generation, but I just see what I see is that we still live in a big boys don't cry kind of culture. And that, you know, even just having the vocabulary to articulate emotions is it's not encouraged in boys and men. Um, And I think that's, that explains the, girls can't help themselves, but, you know, talk about what's going on with each other and men tending not to. Um, And the other thing is my work rests a lot on this uh, connection between physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. And that if you suppress in any of those areas, so, you know, most likely emotional or mental, I see it so much that it comes up as, as physical and stomach ulcers are a classic one for stress um, and suppressing emotions. So, I think more people need to know about how those things surface. So Alice, you're only one person, but you're so uniquely placed to help people like this. How are you going to reach more people? I mean, you can only coach a certain number of people in you know, the working hours that you have. <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> very true. It's, um, I mean, that's partly the reason why I started the podcast, um, bringing amazing people like you to people's living rooms and lives and getting information out there that way. But I've been thinking a lot during this time of um, quarantine and on an idea that I've had for um, the last year. And I thought, okay, well, this is obviously something 
I need to do. So I've actually been working at the moment on launching a online monthly membership community. So it's going to have, I won't give it all away yet, but it will have um, essentially coaching support for a very cheap price in a monthly community with extra content and meditations and videos and guidance to just try and help more people because as you and I both know there's only so many hours in the day and there's so many so many people you can coach but also not everyone can you know afford one-to-one coaching help so I really I know that stress is such a to me it is another global pandemic I just honestly think it's everywhere and people don't take it seriously enough until it turns into a physical illness but we're not meant to be stressed it's um it's turned into such a normality that people don't find it strange if they have a headache from stress, which I just find just, you know, mind boggling to be honest. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping to sort of get that all sorted whilst all this is going on and try and reach people, reach people that way and try and help more people if I can. So we'll see. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That sounds amazing. And I, you know, I really, you'll probably be embarrassed that I say this, but I want people to know, I know that you haven't been well. And the fact that this is what you've been working on whilst not feeling well. I just think says everything about you. I know it will really help people. I, I love the way you just put that stress as a global pandemic, but because we can't see it, it's easy to brush it under the carpet and ignore it. And that, that's, that's a crime. I totally agree with you. Um, and I go as far as to say that you know, stress hasn't just become a normality. It's, it's become a badge of honor. I'm so stressed. I'm so busy. I never sleep. I mean, I've actually chosen to remove myself from those sorts of conversations and actually, you know, sometimes say to people, oh, I'm not that busy. Oh, you know, I, I really prioritize my sleep and I, I wake up quite late compared to most people, but partly <laughs> just to, to push back on that idea that it's normal and, or even good to say that you're so stressed that you don't sleep. Um, it's, it is it like you say it's just it's become such a badge of honor and whether it's people saying oh, I'm so busy or I'm so stressed and I'm so this and something that is really I think an interesting obviously there's a lot of suffering that's going on now whether that's mentally or whether it's financially or whether it's from grief from losing people or with their health but something that this whole scenario with what we're going on globally at the moment is having making everyone stop and reflect on themselves and I think that was a really interesting, interesting sort of, I don't know, something that's come to the surface because we are constantly on this rat race of people wanting to look to the outside to sort of cover up their own emotional problems, sort of the next distraction, the next this, I'm really stressed, I've got to do that, I can't stop, blah, blah, blah. And everyone is being forced to, although people will be busy working at home, forced to stop in different ways because you then can't go out at the end of the evening and you then can't you know, take that next trip and book that next distraction. So it is a really strange time and a very interesting time at the same time, I think, for people having to actually really look at what kind of state their mental health is really in. I think that's so true. And I I love the phrase that you sometimes use with your work, which is calmness is a skill. And I think that this is such an opportune time to try to learn that skill. Um, And I know that you have some tactics for people to to try to bring that into their life and I'd like to just ask you a little bit about some of them to um well you know mostly to actually help people to start doing it just by listening to this podcast if you know if they can't necessarily get access to you yet um because I know you've got quite a few coaching clients at the moment so 
maybe we could you could talk me through some of these so what's a morning mindset yeah absolutely I'll definitely talk you through a morning mindset because I think like you say it'd be great for people to hear right now if they're at home but one thing I will say on what you just said was that calmness is a skill yeah it's a phrase I use with my work sometimes and I I truly believe that it is I believe calmness is a skill because if it wasn't then the whole world would be calm right now and the reality is that it is far from it so I think that we're born born calm and you know the same way you said you believe we're all born intuitive yeah when we're all born intuitive it's the world it's the layers that get put on top of us that make us forget the outside world makes us forget from all the stresses, the struggles, the, you know, self-doubts, the lack of confidence, all these things that get led upon us as we get older from outside events that affect our subconscious and affect the way we react in the world unless we deal with it, then you forget your intuitive abilities. And I also believe that you forget that you came here as an extremely calm soul and being. And that is essentially our natural, our natural state and essence. And so, calmness is a skill to me to relearn you know it's a skill to get back to that calm state to tap into that whenever we want and to live it as much as we possibly can so I really hope that more people can connect to that as the years go on and we learn you know mental health and we learn how to tap back into our natural state of calm because I think it's so 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 important so yeah one of the ways to do that is um, a morning mindset routine and I know that um, a lot of people also say you know I don't have time but I think everyone will have time in the morning now whether you have I understand obviously people have children and that can cause um, issues with your own routine now because you're all in the same place. But even if you just take 10 minutes to lock yourself in the bathroom in the morning and have those 10 minutes to yourself, and if you're by yourself or you don't have children around you taking up your energy and time at that time, then to put half an hour into it. Because a morning routine for your mind, I think is it's one of the best things you can do, especially at a time of stress, because what we know what we do in the morning it really sets us up for the entire day ahead and if you are waking up in reactive mode and respond reacting sorry not responding to (coughs) everything um around you whether that's just looking at the fearful based news or answering 75 messages on your phone before you even got out of bed or you know all these little micro stresses um just taking that time in the morning to do something solely for you and seeing how that sets your mind up for the rest of the day and also your energy. So in the morning, a morning mindset routine for me would be for people to start is first of all, just having their phones on airplane mode when they go to bed. If they don't have another alarm, just put it on airplane mode. So you do not turn airplane mode off until you've finished your morning routine, because then you're not reacting to the world around you. And that space is solely for you. Then starting with journaling so just mind dumping as we say just getting all your anxious thoughts out of your head and onto paper in whatever form they come you can either answer a question of you know how do I feel today or you can just free flow it and just let everything come out Mm -hmm. um and then doing some gratitude um as corny as it sounds and everyone always says gratitude 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 and I'm sure it's something that's thrown around a lot but really just taking time to think of five things in the morning you're grateful for and writing them down. And also something I've really started to reflect on recently is being grateful for your emotional state. So if you are happy that day, give yourself gratitude for being happy because as we know, we're not always, we're not always happy. We're human. So really taking gratitude for your good emotions. 
Um, and also then moving on to a meditation, even if it's just for five minutes of breathing deeply, or if it's a guided meditation on an app, like Happy Not Perfect or Headspace or something on YouTube or unguided, whatever, you know, meditation is for you, just choosing to do five minutes of it and setting an intention for the day after that. So what do you want to get out of your day? How do you want to feel most importantly? Um, and then finally for me, I just love raising my vibration and listening to a really happy song and dancing around just for five yeah. minutes. <laughs> it just gets your energy going um, and into a good sort of energetic space. But that's a sort of, yeah, a minimum basic morning routine I would say to people to do now if they can. Okay, that's brilliant. And I, I, I agree with you that in this circumstance that we're in that doing it first thing is really really important because you know if you're working from home if you've got kids if you're just dealing with you know a lot more housework because you're isolating properly then it's so easy to get distracted during the day Um, yeah absolutely I wanted to pick up on a couple of those things you mentioned affirmations and intentions what's one intention or affirmation that you try to remind yourself of or live by daily that helps you to keep inspired and on track? I think for me, it's, it's actually, I always think of that phrase that Wayne Dyer said, which is my favorite quote, if not a sort of affirmation of my own, which is when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Mm. And I think it's just one of the best phrases I've ever heard because one of the things I love teaching with um stress is you know how to change your perspective on either the scenario or the stress itself um or on the judgment of yourself for having stress in the first place so I think that phrase for me is just I always come back to it if I think something's you know horrific or stressful or you know something is not as it should be you know like everything's going on in the world now I try to look at it in a different way and I come back to that phrase and it's something I try to bring into my day if I can. So um, yeah, it's always been one of my favorites. That's brilliant. I love that one. I have heard it before, but I haven't sort of thought about it again recently, but it's so appropriate right now. Um, Okay. So you've mentioned a few people that you admire throughout this podcast episode, Um, but what are some books or authors that have changed your life? Um, I mean, yes, Wayne Dyer definitely did. I think he was the first person I started to actually read in all this um, genre of things. Um, the Power of Intention by him was one of my favorite books. Uh, I think it's amazing. And then who else? I, I've i always loved um, Gabrielle Bernstein. I think she's amazing, actually. The, the Universe Has Your Back is an amazing starting point even though it's not a starting book it's an amazing you could go into it at any sort of level of your own spiritual development um and seeing it in a just sort of it's like having a relationship with the universe in your own way and I think it's a really great book to start start reading especially at this time (laughs) yeah two really amazing authors um so I have a final question for you which is you know I certainly see you as a beacon for having endured terrible stress and loss and come out of it as just a beautiful, positive, shining person in my life. Um, And I'm so, you know, so grateful that we've become friends. So what do you think you would do differently if you faced stress or loss again? And what would you advise us as your listeners to think about doing if we have to face stress or loss? 
Gosh, that's such a good such a good question um so very nice thank you <laughs> I'm very glad we've become friends as well it's been such such incredible learning from you and also becoming your friend it's amazing but um I I would say I think one of the things I would go back and change and do is to see things from as quickly as possible to see things from an energetic and and a logical perspective so for me for example reiki um healing i found after my um sister died i had a bereavement therapist who at that time it wasn't really working for me and she said well i think you should see the reiki healer in the building and i was like what the hell is reiki (laughs) what are you talking about and so for loss and grief specifically i literally cannot advocate for the physical, for the physicality of feeling like an elephant is sat on your chest or that heartache or whatever Mm -hmm. physical emotion you're feeling in your chest. I cannot advocate um, energy healing more as in Reiki Mm -hmm. because it was for me, although it can't get rid of your emotions and you're going to still feel pain, the physicality, it lessens. And I think that I just couldn't actually believe that after um, losing, you know, people that feeling like an elephant, sat on your chest the only thing that relieved that in some way energetically for me has been reiki um and i've obviously had to do a lot of work on the grief process in terms of you know mentally but mm-hmm. that i think is something that it's just not well known enough it is but it's people just sort of brush it off or <laughs> so you know oh it's woo woo whatever but it, to me it's really not it's about healing yourself energetically because you are essentially just energy if you look at it in a different scientific way of you know quantum physics or whatever way you want to look at it is that we are all just energy uh just dense form and so I think having an open mind to energy healing if you're going through grief is something that really can really help people Mm. um and then what was the other part you said about stress (laughs) well it was more like what you'd do differently but also not you know what you do differently in future but also like what you would advise other people so I think you kind of covered it it was about stress or loss yeah I mean I definitely I would say Reiki is one thing to think of when you're going through grief and then if it's stress I would definitely just start to get to know your mind and to do that through meditation at the beginning if you can't get help in whatever way form that comes or you can't um get support one-to-one there's so many incredible you know so much incredible content online from coaches who are helping and I think that starting with meditation even for five minutes of the day I wish that people did that at school at the age of three upwards I think we'd all be in a very different (laughs) mental state by the time we were 21 or 50 or you know 80 Uh, I hope that changes one day but we'll see (laughs) So yeah, yeah I mean, maybe, maybe homeschooling <laughs> should include some meditation now as well. So, you know, I, I know a lot of children are just really frightened by what's going on. And it, you know, it must be difficult as a parent with all the uncertainty around you to, you know, really know how to help your children to navigate that. So I think that's a brilliant idea. I think people could start doing it now. Um, Alice, thank you so much. I, I really believe what I said at the beginning that this podcast series wouldn't be the same without an episode where you were interviewed. Um, I am so looking forward to you launching your monthly membership because I think there are a lot of people out there that need it right now. And I'm also looking forward to the day that I can physically see you again. But until then, <laughs> energetically, we're connected. Oh, Sarah, Tara, thank you so much. It's been um, such a great conversation. You're 
one of my, you're probably the only person I actually wanted to um, do this side with because I just think it's a uh, it's always it's always nice to have your incredible perspective on things as well and as you said we've become good friends it's been wonderful to to do it together so thank you thank you can't wait to listen to the episode Thank you so much for tuning into the Luali Life podcast today. I hope you enjoyed this slightly different episode and got to know me a bit more and why I do what I do and why I do this podcast. If you would like to know more about some of the things we mentioned today, such as the monthly membership that I will be launching and would like updates on that, then please go to my website and sign up with an email address or follow me on social media for the updates to come. If you haven't hit subscribe, then please do and download all the episodes now so I can continue to bring you more amazing guests from around the world and help you keep you calm and stress-free through this very different, strange time. Stay tuned.